Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. I'm so grateful to be doing this tonight. I'm <clears throat> not feeling really well, but the beautiful part about Big Book is I don't have to remember anything or be on. All I have to do is read the truth in front of me. So we are in the doctor's opinion. <clears throat> if you start on the first page, we're about four pages in. In the third edition, it's XXVII. It's the part right after we dis discuss um, the mental obsession. And so the first real paragraph on the page is on the other hand. So we just discussed that the real alcoholism isn't about how long we drink, how often we drink, and how much we drink. It's about what happens to my mind when I try to not drink on my own. And what happens to my body when my mind convinces me I need to pick up a drink? And that's the miserable cycle of alcoholism. And it basically tells me right before this paragraph, this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, which is just a new mind, there is very little hope of his recovery. And I wrote next to recovery, fellowship alone is insufficient. So if what I really need is for my mind to think differently... And no human can help me with that. And the, and the fellowship is composed of humans who are well-meaning and love me and want me to get better. They still can't bring about what I need. It says, on the other hand, and above this paragraph I wrote through the 12 steps. So I wrote through the 12 steps. It says, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change, I underline psychic change, Anytime they talk about psychic change, they're talking about the way that we think changes. So we don't only see the part that we want to focus on. We can see the big picture. And that is what the book tells us is what I need in order to get free so I can see the complete truth about my alcoholism. And I can only be able to see that when my mind and my vision is not blocked by my own resentments, fears, dishonesty, shame, which is in my hallway that I need to clear out. Once a psychic change has occurred through the 12 steps, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly, and I underline the rest of the paragraph, finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Above, where it says, easily able to control his desire, I wrote mental obsession. So they're saying, I can control the mental obsession once I've gone through the 12 steps and I'm working them and I'm not blocked off. And then that last part where it says simple rules, I double underline and I wrote next to that steps. And I wrote 12 steps equal remove mental obsession. So if what my problem is is that my hallway is blocked off and no one can get in and no and I can't get out, the only solution is to unblock myself from that hallway, and the 12 steps do that. The reason why I keep going back to drinking is because the only thought I have, the only thought that can get through, is that that's all that makes me better. And I wrote on the side, we think of what alcohol does for us rather than to us. We think of what alcohol does for us rather than to us. So we think of the relief it provides. We don't think of the hell that it brings. <clears throat> and the person that we just talked about in the second part of that paragraph, the one who can now solve their problems, who, who doesn't have a mental obsession, I wrote on the side, recovered. So the person that they're talking about is someone who's working the 12 steps, 
who is actively involved in the solution and they are recovered. They are no longer doomed, which is why I introduced myself as a recovered alcoholic because I no longer have a physical craving for alcohol and I no longer have a mind that tells me I need to pick up a drink. And remember, whenever we refer to the mental obsession, an obsession is a thought that blacks out all other thoughts. It's the only one we can think of. It starts off as a whisper and one of my favorite members of AA tells me that it's it's the most reasonable sounding voice in my head. It's not going to be like a neon sign that says, go drink, Carly. It's this, the most reasonable sounding voice in my head. The next paragraph says, men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, and I underline, I cannot go on like this. And I remember saying that. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. I underlined face with this problem. It says, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes, I underlined, feel his own inadequacy. And above that, I wrote, beyond human aid. So the reason why a doctor would feel that they were not enough to help someone like us is because our problem has a solution that's bigger than humans. No human can make it better. I always say, if there was a human power that could make my alcoholism better, my mom would have done it. Because she wanted me to be sober more than anybody. So I wrote on the side, no human power. Although he gives all that is in him, I underline, it is often not enough. And I underline that in red again, if you're going to be underlining in red for the parts that are really serious. I underline this next sentence in red as well. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Above more than human power, I wrote God, and then I wrote spiritual experience, or new mind. God, spiritual experience, or new mind. So the, the real truth of what happens to me when I go through the 12 steps, especially 4 through 9, and I clear out the hallway and I start to see my life from a different point of view because my sponsor, who's my guide, helps me see it that way because we clear out everything and pull it out and look at it, is I realize that most of the time, except when I was a really small girl, I've made decisions based on self that place me in the position to be hurt that I'm complaining about. And we look back far enough and we ask the right questions until we get to the truth, which is I'm the one who started this based on fear or not getting something that I wanted or one of my other defects that's made all the choices. <clears throat> I wrote on the side, mind destroying the body and the body destroying the mind. I wrote mind destroying the body and the body destroying the mind. So my mind is trying to convince me to pick up the drink, which destroys my body. And my body physically craving, once it's activated, will destroy my mind by how much I put in it. It says, though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. For me, that was the approach I chased after. My parents got sober when I was 13. Um, when I started getting really miserable and depressed, I wanted to seek out a psychiatric or a psychological, emotional solution that was going to be in the form of a pill and a diagnosis. And there's nothing wrong with that, but my problem was not that solely. And it wasn't even my main problem. I had untreated alcoholism and I didn't know it because it looks like a lot of other things. And I was able to get a lot of different diagnoses and a lot of different medications and none of them helped me. 
It says, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date. So above they took a drink, I wrote no mental defense. So they didn't have something within them that said, hey, you shouldn't drink right before we're about to go do this business deal that you're going to be successful in. There was nothing there that was stopping it. I underlined, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. And above phenomenon of craving, I wrote reinforcing physical craving. So as soon as I pick up a drink because my mind tells me to and I activate the physical allergy, then I start to physically crave alcohol. I am not able to physically crave alcohol once it's out of my body. I can only physically crave it when I've got alcohol in my body. So we're talking here about the mental obsession and then the physical allergy. And I wrote on the bottom of this page, we can't stay sober on self-knowledge. We can't stay sober on self-knowledge. This is a point that was hammered into me when I first got sober. It was constantly being talked about in the rooms where I was that self-knowledge is not my problem and it's not my solution. That my problem isn't that I don't understand this disease and my problem isn't that I don't understand the solution. My problem is application of it, is I don't consistently apply it. It says, so that, and I turn the page, the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. I underline the rest of the paragraph. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And next to mental control, I wrote physical craving. And above that, I wrote, can you relate? Question mark. I'm always asking these kind of questions to the girl I'm working with because I want her to think of that. And I want me to think of that. Do I remember what it was like to drink to overcome a, a physical craving? And do I remember what it was like to try to not drink in my mind deciding that I was going to pick up a drink regardless? This next paragraph is going to be talking about a number of different types of drinkers. They actually identify five here. Um, one of the activities I do with girls when we go through this part is I ask them to put a little check mark if they can relate to any part of it. I related to all of it at different points of my drinking. Um, but all of the people that are described here have one similar symptom in common. So above this paragraph, I wrote types of alcoholics above the big one, which is the classification. And then I wrote on the side, all types start to look for the second drink. So we're going to identify the, the different kinds of alcoholics, but all of them, regardless of which one you are, will look to, will start to look for the second drink. That's the same, the same thing across the board. So it says, there are many situations which, which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, so out of the physical craving, which cause men to make, I underline, the supreme sacrifice. And I wrote on the side, suicide. Suicide is a common manifestation of untreated alcoholism. I've been to funerals of people in AA whose numbers were in my phone that I had to delete, who were in my sponsorship family, who stopped doing the work halfway through and were not willing to do whatever work they needed to do. And they all, three of the women that I'm thinking of, picked up either a drink or tried killing themselves and were successful without anything in their body. It says, the classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, so I put a number one in front of the psychopaths and I underline the psychopaths. So just looking at that word alone, that doesn't sound really good. That I think of like Freddy Krueger and like crazy people that have chopped up their parents. 
but when you, they have the description here, it fits me to a T. So psychopaths, and I underline, who are emotionally unstable. Emotionally unstable was a euphemism to describe my behavior on a daily basis. You never knew what you were going to get with me. My nickname was Crazy Carly, and it wasn't because I was crazy fun. Sometimes I was crazy fun, and sometimes I was just crazy. And there was no consistency in how I behaved. It says we are all familiar with this type, and I underline this because I related to it. They are always going on the wagon for keeps, so I'm always make, making a decision and making a declaration. It says they are, I underline, over-remorseful, which is, was me every time I came to, and I underline, make many resolutions but never a decision. So I decided and I resolved, I, I can't live like this anymore, but I didn't make a decision that was based on facts and followed it up with action. I just made proclamations and then I didn't follow it up, and halfway through the day that I'd be trying to not drink, Somebody would say to me as I was putting a drink to my mouth, hey, I thought you were going to be sober. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'll try again tomorrow. So that's the first type, the psychopaths. So if you relate to that, put a little check mark. There is number two. I underline the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. So that was me in my beginning. I did not believe I was someone who was not capable of being without alcohol. I didn't believe that I had a problem, so I wasn't willing to admit it. I underlined, he plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. I did both of those things. I had rules. Um, I often didn't share my rules with anyone else but myself. And whenever I had to change my rules, I did it quietly when no one else knew about it. And I convinced myself why the rules being changed was the right choice. I also changed my brand. I changed the type of things I was putting in my body. And I changed my environment. I changed the people I was hanging out with because I thought they were the problem. Number three, there is, I underline, the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. So I had a number of sponsors that were like this that got sober really, really young. And after 10 plus years of sobriety, they believed that they were just really, really young when they got sober. They stopped doing the work and then the mental obsession told them the lie that they could go since they'd gone so long. Um, and this is the type that believes the lie that we're not always an alcoholic. That we start off one way, if we can if we can behave a certain way for a long period of time, then we're fine. I believed that about myself at one period. Number four, I underlined, there is the manic depressive type. So up and down, all over the place. This was me. Who is perhaps, I underlined, the least understood by his friends. So the, my friends, the people that were left, would look at me and would talk about me and be like, what is wrong with her? What is she thinking? People would say to me on a regular basis, where did you get that idea? What planet are you from? What are you thinking? And it says, and about whom a whole chapter could be written. And then here's number five. Then there are, I underline, the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. So I thought I was like this to certain people. Like in my high school, I thought certain teachers thought of me like this because I was on the honors roll and I was like involved in every single after school activity for like to look good. But when I went back to make amends, nobody was surprised. So it was just in my mind. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. So those are the types of alcoholics that are identified here. And remember, all types start to look for the second drink. That's what we have in common. I bracketed the next paragraph and I underlined every single sentence. And I wrote on the side, entire abstinence. I wrote entire abstinence. And I wrote, solution to physical allergy. 
solution of physical allergy. So AA, the first 100 men and women, in the doctor's opinion, before we even get to page one, identify the solution to the physical allergy. And that's going to be in this next paragraph. And then the entire rest of the book is about the mental obsession. So it says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. Above one symptom, I wrote big symptom in common. So this is the big symptom we all have in common. Whether we lived in a mansion or a refrigerator box, we all want to do the same thing after we start drinking. It says, they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving, which means they can't put a drink in their body without wanting another one. This phenomenon, and they call that because it doesn't happen with anybody else, which blew my mind away. As we have suggested, maybe the manifestation of an allergy. Remember that word allergy just means an abnormal reaction. Other people don't have the same problem as me. I didn't know that. Which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. So only real alcoholics cannot control the amount of alcohol they put in their body once they start. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. So they're saying there's no way to get rid of the physical craving. And here's the solution to the physical craving. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So I wrote on the side, half of disease covered. So the solution to the physical craving and the physical allergy is to not put alcohol on our body. So if you've ever been to a meeting that, and you hear the people tell you, well-meaning people, don't drink and come back to meetings, that would make sense if my only problem was a physical craving. I would just not put alcohol in my body it wouldn't activate it again. I would go to meetings and learn about great things and meet some funky people, have some cigarettes and coffee and cookies, and I'd be awesome. But the problem is a real alcoholic, when we take away alcohol, which is a solution to my mental obsession and my pain and my relief, is I sit in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with the disease of alcoholism. I take away alcohol from the alcoholic and I'm left with ick. And the mental obsession gnaws on me and it whispers in my ear and it convinces me that AA is for losers and that these people don't get it and that you've been coming for three or four weeks and clearly this place is not going to help you and you've been drink not drinking, going to meetings and nothing is better. It's actually worse and you're more suicidal than ever. That's because of the mental obsession. So the book only identifies what to do about the physical allergy in this paragraph and then we're done. So this is the solution to the physical allergy. So I have written down, if this was my only problem, and then in quotation marks, I wrote, don't drink and go to meeting would work. If this was my only problem, and in quotation marks, don't drink and go to meetings would work. So that means if I'm in a meeting and there's a new person, and or there's a not new person, and they're talking about how they're suffering or they're in pain or they're not doing well, and one of us tells them in our comment, don't drink and go to meetings, it is my responsibility to either comment or go up to that person after, regardless of their sex, and look them in the eyes and ask them, is anybody taking you through the steps out of the big book? And I'm, I need to be prepared to sit down with them and have a conversation. And if I'm not able to do it that day, I need to make an appointment with somebody in my sponsorship family who's willing to sit down with them and take them through the book and the steps. Because Alcoholics Anonymous only offers one solution to our problem, and that solution is the 12 steps. 
So if you come to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting repeatedly and you are miserable and you keep asking for help and we tell you to not drink and go to meetings, which is nowhere in our book, then what we're telling you is not our solution. We're telling you a slogan that helped them at some point or that they heard or that they heard in treatment, but it's not our solution. And if you come to an AA meeting, I want to give you AA solution. It says, this immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, and I underline the rest of the paragraph. But among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics, that's someone who's repeatedly doing this cycle, are doomed. And I underline in red, doomed. And I wrote on the side, to an alcoholic death, which they're going to describe in detail in the pages ahead. So this is Dr. Silkworth saying, us men and women of medicine believe that if you're a chronic alcoholic, you're doomed to an alcoholic death. One of my sponsors says that every single alcoholic who does not make it to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous will die an alcoholic death. On the top of the next page, I wrote a couple of questions just to remind myself these are really important ones to ask the person I'm working with. Do you have any doubt that you can drink safely? So I wrote, do you have any doubt that you can drink safely, question mark? And I want her or him to answer this for themselves, not for me, for themselves. Do you have any doubt that you can drink safely? And the next question I wrote is, do you have the mental obsession, question mark? Do you have the mental obsession? So can you relate to that when you're trying not to drink because you're getting in trouble and you don't want to drink anymore, but you end up picking up a drink because your mind convinces you to? And then I also wrote physical allergy, question mark. So we're just kind of plugging that back into them. Is this something you have? And one thing I, I always remember, especially if I'm ever at a bar because of an event or something, and I always look at that wall of alcohol, I still feel the same way, which is I never got all the alcohol I wanted. I've heard in the rooms, not in our book, but one of our members said, that one was too many and a thousand was not enough. That there was never enough alcohol to completely numb everything out forever. So this next part says, what is the solution? Right? We just identified the solution to the physical allergy and that's entire abstinence. Now we're talking about the solution to the mental obsession. Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. So I bracketed the next big paragraph and I wrote above it, revolutionary change revolutionary change, and I wrote identification, which is what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to help them identify with our story. So this is Dr. Silkworth's experience. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for, I underline in red, chronic alcoholism. I wrote on the side, progressive physical illness. Progressive physical illness, and I also wrote, cannot safely drink alcohol. Cannot safely drink alcohol. Remember, I can drink whenever I want. I just can no longer safely drink it. It says, he had but partially recovered from, I underline in red, a gastric hemorrhage, which is one of the things that happens to alcoholics if we keep drinking, and seemed to be a case of, I underline in red, pathological mental deterioration, because our brains actually deteriorate from the amount of alcohol we put in it. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was living, one might say, to drink. I underlined the next sentence, and above it I wrote step one. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. 
That was my truth. When I got to you, it was because I didn't have any hope and I didn't know where else to go. And the woman I contacted after I overdosed said, you need to go to the meeting and ask for help. And I only went because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And she told me I would get help if I went. And nobody else was offering me help. It says, following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury, which still blows my mind. The amount of things I put in my body, it's literally a miracle that I'm able to function at the level I am. That I was able to finish my degree and get my graduate degree and be a parent and read things and make intelligent decisions that I did not have permanent brain damage. It says he accepted and I underlined the plan outlined in this book and above the plan I wrote did 12 steps. So the only plan that we offer in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the 12 steps. Again, I'm either working the 12 steps, which is our program, or I'm not. Anyone's a member if they say they want to be a member, but the only way I can be working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is if I'm working the 12 steps. I wrote on the side in big letters, the book has a plan of recovery. The book has a plan of recovery. So I always want to remember that the book, this book that I'm reading, has the plan that I've been looking for. I always felt like I missed the day in school where like everybody was gathered into the auditorium and the secret to life pamphlet was handed out and I missed it and no one gave it to me. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. And I underline the next sentence. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. And above that sentence, I wrote, through the 12 steps. Through the 12 steps. So this was me. This sentence describes who I was when I got to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous on January 27th, 1999, and who I am today. I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with my head down. I was not capable of looking anyone in the eyes. I hated myself. I hated you. I was lost and broken. And today, because of the 12 steps and because of the work I do, I'm brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. It doesn't mean I don't have hard moments. It doesn't mean I don't mess up but it does mean I'm content with what I have. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. And I wrote next to that, steps changed him completely. I wrote, steps changed him completely. And that's the goal. I want to be unrecognizable to people who used to know me, because that means I'm changing. If you hear my lead this year and you heard it four years ago, I hope you hear different things in there, especially about what I'm doing today, because I hope I'm growing spiritually. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis, so he decided for himself that he was hopeless, right, which is what I did all the time. I underlined in red, and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn, determined to die. And above the word deciding, I wrote mind. So his mind, which means his mental obsession, <coughs> helped him decide that his situation is hopeless. I wrote on the side a number of things. I wrote, my mind tells me I can drink safely. I wrote, my mind tells me I can drink safely. 
And then I wrote, if only, dot, dot, dot. And then I wrote, mind gives me permission to drink. Mind gives me permission to drink. So my real problem, which is what I wrote on the side, my real problem centers in my mind. It has nothing to do with alcohol. It is that my mind still will bring me back to the only truth it remembers, which is alcohol is my solution. It says he was rescued by a searching party and, and I underline, in desperate condition, which is what I came to you in, brought to me. In desperate condition is the best way we can come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous because if I'm desperate enough, um, it's called the gift of desperation, then maybe I'll be willing to do the work. In desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower. Whenever we talk about willpower in this book, I wrote on the side the words willpower. I wrote power of a sane mind. So I wrote willpower equals power of a sane mind. So whenever we're talking about willpower, we're talking about someone who is able to see the truth about their alcoholism. So this person, because he was desperate enough, felt that if now that he knows the truth, that he'll be okay. That he would be able to resist the impulse to drink, which is what I thought. I underline the, the next paragraph. His alcohol problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we, called, we then called moral psychology. And we doubted if even that would have any effect. And next to moral psychology, I wrote spiritual experience because that's just another word for it, which is a, a change in my thinking. And I also wrote through the 12 steps. So remember, I only get that experience, that change in the way I look at my life through the 12 steps. And we're going to stop right there, and we'll start next week on the next page. Thank you so much. Oh, you know what? There's one paragraph. I'll finish it. However, he did become sold, and above sold, I wrote, work the steps on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he, I underlined, is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. And that's how I want people to feel about me after they come into contact with me sober. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. And underlined the word pray, and I wrote, if you want to remain, have to stay and pray. William D. Silkworth, M.D. So we're going to stop there. Have an awesome day, an awesome week, and come back next week.